This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me, I'm part of the Vox Media Network. I am sitting here at Vox Media New York headquarters with Britt Morin, CEO of Brit and do we say Brit and Co or Brit and Company? Brit and Co. The Co actually stands for community. Tricky. I'll I've, I've, we're, Don't worry. we're less than a minute into the podcast. I've already learned something. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. I know what Britain Co. is. I didn't know how to pronounce it. It's but cool. Now, but I know what it is. Why don't you tell the listeners to the Recode Media Podcast what Britain Co. is? Sure. Uh, Britain Co. is a women's digital media brand that was started five and a half years ago. By you. By me, Brit. 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 Yeah. The Co. is the community. Um, it, we started... With the notion that we live in the social media era, we live in the human sort of everyone wants authenticity and real people era. I worked at YouTube before this and saw firsthand how important it is to have people at the forefront of any sort of content creation. And so um, I had never been. Um, Wait, before, the for- before we get into your, yeah. your creation story, so go- the, the, the company does what? You sell what to whom? <laughs> we sell media to advertisers. Uh-huh. We're a media company. We reach 130 million people a month on distributed sites, 28 million across our Comscore O&O. Um, and your we, audience comes to audience, read, listen? Audience mostly comes to read and watch. On top of that... And they're watching you and people mm, like you, no? Yeah. I'm in less than 1% of the content. I, I just sort of, sort of star in the spotlight content, uh, whether that's on our own sites, on television, in a book... We think about content in a very multifaceted way. So the fact that there are human faces as part of the brand means we can leverage it into all kinds of different types of media. So somewhere along the line, maybe from the get-go, someone described you as the Martha Stewart of Silicon Valley. And everyone, when they want to write about you or talk about you, you use yeah. that as shorthand. Are you comfortable with that? <laughs> is that? Is that a good way to describe what you're doing or what you aspire to be doing? There are pros and cons. Martha was an inspiration for me in terms of starting the company because who doesn't love Martha Stewart and the legacy she's left behind and continues to and continues to but I mean I grew up meaning like I grew up watching and reading Martha Stewart of course and the fact that she built one of the first businesses that was a commerce and media business was so intriguing to me and I felt like she led the brand really well and continues to lead the brand really well in doing both of those things. And in Silicon Valley, where I come yeah. from, you know, having worked at lots of big tech companies, everyone's always like, you can't do content in, commu- in commerce. It just doesn't work. Everyone's tried it. No one makes it work, you know. And I was like, Martha made it work. Disney made it work. Like, yeah, this can work. And, and actually, you know, the reason why these things worked is because they stayed inside these guardrails of what the brand stood for, like what the mission was of the brand. And they had real people as the characters but of just the brand. To keep making this higher and higher level so someone like me yep. can understand it. You're comfortable with the idea that Martha Stewart created lifestyle content for her audience in a certain way at a certain time. She's still doing it. And you are creating going to call it lifestyle kind of teaching people how to make stuff, how to cook stuff, how to make their lives better. Yep. And it's aimed at millennial-ish women. Yeah, millennial women, two-thirds are 18 to 35. Um, and, other, and, and so you're doing a version of that, and it's sort of digitally oriented. You digitally came out of oriented, tech. came out of tech. The business has expanded beyond just media, which I can talk about, but um, that's happened in a very natural and organic way over the last few years. So... Today, we actually are media company, education company, and a merchandising brand as well. So bulk of the money uh, you generate comes from ads? 
Yep. Still and then you, and then you're still and then you are now starting to sell stuff directly to people. Mm-hmm. Correct. And was that the plan from the get go, or was. was it ads and then comments? You were saying people. Who, it was, and that's where the Martha thing comes back into play. Literally, in my first VC pitch deck for my my seed round, I had this funnel. It says "See, learn, buy, do." The idea is, you know, people can engage with you on a daily basis through content, but over time, you can probably get them to do something else as well. So this is, you started, what, six years ago? Five and a half, six years, yep. Mm-hmm. You're 31 31, uh-huh. Um, so you're 25. 25. You so when you're 25, what makes you think, I want to make a media company, I want to be the face of a media company, I want my name to be the name of the media company, and, and what gives you the confidence to think that's a good idea? <laughs> so... I had actually come into tech via living in Texas, taking computer science courses in high school, and doing everything I could to graduate as quickly as possible from college to just get out to Silicon Valley where the action was happening. You knew you wanted to go there? Mm-hmm. Where'd you, did you grow up in Austin? or I grew up in San Antonio, and I chose to go to UT Austin for school because I tested almost out of almost two years of college with my credits from high school. And my friends thought I was crazy for leaving college that early, <laughs> and um, I didn't. I was paying my way through college, and I just wanted to, again, get to Silicon Valley. It was 2004, 2005. Facebook had just launched, Amazon.com. We, we, we knew what the internet was. We'd already had a boom. We had a bust, but you knew right. that I want to get out there. Correct. And so moved out when I was 20. Uh, started working at Apple when it was just iTunes, uh, and it was just iPods, no iPhones. Uh, learned a lot about the intersection of media and tech, in a different way there at Apple and iTunes, and then moved over to Google. I worked for Marissa for a bit uh, on Maps and then Search, and then I was asked to join YouTube to launch a product called Google TV, which has evolved into Chromecast now at this point. But that was in 2009 when I joined the Google TV team. And part of my job in getting the product ready to launch was to get content for the platform to make it interesting. And so we had to go out and approach all the different television networks and operators and ask them to put their long-form video content on the internet. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to participate in this. The worst conversations ever. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny. There's a, there's a story out this week about how Rupert Murdoch has a problem with technology. Rupert Murdoch's always had a problem with technology. And I remember very specifically during the Google TV era when you guys were showing this stuff off, the big concern was – we hear less about it now, but that Google was was enabling piracy. So none of the big guys wanted to work with you as long as they were – because they thought right. – for one of the reasons they thought was that you could watch Mad Men for free on mm-hmm. YouTube, which you probably couldn't. Well, on YouTube, you could see clips of it, yeah. right, or like very shoddy content, you yeah. know. So everyone was turning us down, and it was, it was, there were a few reasons. One, they fundamentally didn't believe in ever putting long-form video content on the internet because of these piracy things. And, and also they had a business where they put it on TV. They had a business where they put it on TV. It. They were locked in contracts with operators. Literally, yeah. they couldn't get out of. Um, and, and often, they also just didn't even have engineers who could do this, who could you know, transport that content into an app uh, that goes on your TV. And so that launched in 2010, and um, we did as best we could with the content that we had, and, and some were more bullish than others. But to me, it was just this wide-open um, eyes of understanding how the media industry was not going to change for many years to come. And there was a huge opportunity to build something in between YouTube user-generated content, which I was working on as well, and these kind of premium so, television So you just told shows. me half your life story, <laughs> but not the part where you decide, I'm launching a media company and I'm going to be the star of the media company. Well, it all led up to this. I mean, so those are all the reasons I saw that that opportunity from my time at YouTube. and from Mar- time- So Martha Stewart's not going to be on the internet. 
So there's an opportunity to create something like that. It wasn't even Martha Stewart. It was it was it was partially that from a business model and a um, content uh, narrative and mission perspective. You know, Martha. What I realized was when I left Google, I took a few months off. I decided to see what I did when I didn't have a schedule in front of me, and I actually wanted to turn the screen off and do things with my hands. And I realized as I was doing that, I was using digital tools um, to download CAD files and export them onto a laser cutter or a 3D printer. And I was making things like jewelry and home decor, and I was getting married. I was making stuff for my wedding. Uh, I had no idea how to do this type of stuff like days before, and, and yet I learned in 30 minutes. And Pinterest had just launched, and all my girlfriends were on Pinterest. I was obviously on Pinterest. And I was posting all the stuff I was making and doing, and people were just flocking to me saying, like, how do you do this? Like, I, I'm not creative. I could never do these types of things. And it dawned on me that these women were same age as me. Um, they had grown up in an era where our moms and dads both worked. We were often at home, you know, not by ourselves, but we certainly didn't get the domestic training that, like, my mom got from her mom of how to use a sewing machine and how to do all these also, things. Also because you were running out of the house to go to, go to college. And <laughs> totally. But they also didn't, you know, home economics classes weren't required and, all, you know, all these sort of domestic creativity courses. And by the time, you know, this generation had grown into adults, like, they didn't, literally didn't know how to make scrambled eggs. Like a lot of college students don't know how to make scrambled eggs right now. And they didn't know how to use a computer. And so I wanted to sort of reimagine what that Martha Stewart character could be like for this generation. And it's not about one person. You know, we live in the distributed Internet where we follow thousands of people on social media. And you might like one person, you might not. And so it was for me more about finding that community of people who are interior designers and chefs and a niche I'm going to you know, try, try one last time. If you wanted to do lifestyle stuff and right and be the be on TV or on the internet you could do that you could go onto YouTube that already existed and you could be Brit's YouTube channel I'm going to show you how to make stuff if you wanted to start a media company you could do that but it doesn't necessarily mean that you would be the face of it so where did the idea that, that you were going to sort of create this brand around yourself it's not called Peter and Co <laughs> right it's Brit and Co where did that click for you that like oh I can be part of the product so beyond building that co that community it dawned on me that it needed a figurehead, right? Yeah. It needed somebody to be the first, um, somebody who could go on television just as much as she, she could appear in a digital video series. Had you, had you done that before? Had you been no. out, out and I about? Had never, I had never. I mean, a couple of Google demo videos for Google Maps, like we were launching Street View. Um, you were but, a little bit known, though, right? Like people. I mean, at least, at least, like in the, in the tech Silicon crunch Valley, world, yeah, I mean, like among ten thousand people. But I knew <laughs> I'd heard of you, and yeah. probably because I it was always Dave Morin and his wife Britt or his girlfriend Britt, and yeah. they got engaged. There was some you were known a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and I grew. I mean, professionally at Google, and you know, I, I mean. It, because I started pretty early, I was able to just meet a lot of interesting people in Silicon Valley and attach onto Silicon Valley in a time where there wasn't a huge community out there. Nowadays, it's crazy how many people work at those companies. But when I was at Google, I think there were like seven or 8,000 people total. Um, yeah, they, people used to describe like the tech crunch 50,000. And the idea was that people who were paying attention to the, the entire world of, of people who cared about what was happening in Silicon Valley was – 50,000 people. And right. now there's that many probably at Google and Facebook combined. Totally. And and we would all literally, I was at South by Southwest in 2006. I think there were like 500 people total there. <laughs> and that's when I think Twitter launched in 20, 2007 at South by, South by Southwest was like the debut of Twitter. 
And literally, we all just met up at a hotel lobby and Ev was there and he was like, you guys got to use my new app. And we were like, what's this? And so we all downloaded it. We all got our the best usernames ever at Brit because we were so early and, and we used Twitter to just like text each other basically during South by Southwest. So I was I was fortunate to just ride that early wave of Silicon Valley and get to know a lot of people. Kevin Systrom was my Google buddy my first day of Google. Um, like Marissa was my boss. You know, I, I got to meet some of the biggest influencers and CEOs today who were all just kind of like in the trenches with me. That's a good lesson, ago. right? Because it's part luck. Yep. And, but it's also, again, you put yourself there. You put yourself in a position to sort of be lucky. Right. So I want to go to Silicon Valley. I think there's a thing there. Yeah. And starting a company at 25, I remember like it was one of those things where it's like, well, men, all, men always start companies when they're 25. Why can't a woman do it? And yeah, I've never managed teams of hundreds of people before, but I can learn that. And I felt at that point like I had, I had literally managed a $50 million budget launching Google TV and why can't I go raise $50 million and manage that budget? And and so I felt bullish enough to try it. And then wor- the worst case, like in Silicon Valley, this happens all the time, 99% fail, right? And yeah. you go back and you get another great job and you or you start another company and try again. And there wasn't really like a downside for me. Um, I, want, I want to ask you more about starting the company. But first, I want to hear, I want to let our audience hear from our fine advertisers. Okay. So hang on for one second. For about 30 seconds. We'll be right back. Recode Media is brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. Cameron Hughes Wine lets you drink wine like you're a millionaire, even though you are just a regular Joe who likes good wine that does not cost a gazillion dollars. I'm one of those people. I've been drinking Cameron Hughes Wine for several weeks now. They sent me a bunch. It's great. What Cameron Hughes Wine does is buy excellent wine from high-end wineries all around the world. They blend it. They put it in their own bottles with their own label. They tell you what it is so you know what you're getting. And you're also paying about 50% less than you would pay at retail. So, good wine, great prices delivered to you. Sounds like a good deal, right? But wait, it gets better. If you order three or more bottles from Cameron Hughes Wine, not only will you get a free corkscrew. That's right, a free corkscrew. It gets much better than that. You will get free shipping on your wine. That is the real deal. Wine is very heavy. It's expensive to ship. Cameron Hughes will pay those shipping costs for you. Again, good wine, great prices sent to you. Go to chwine.com. Use the promo code PETER. That's how they'll know I sent you. Go right now. Go to chwine.com. Use the promo code PETER. You'll get free shipping on every order of three or more bottles. Enjoy your wine today. Rebecca and Britt Morin, we sound great. We're just talking (laughs) about audio quality. We want you guys to have the best free podcast audio quality available. (laughs) We were talking about starting a company, and you were talking about how both when you started six years ago and still today, there aren't a lot of women starting companies. And the men who start companies generally fit a mold. Usually a white guy who has a, a computer science degree. There are outliers, right? So when you go out and you say, I want to uh, create this company, here's my background. And you can say, I worked at Apple and I worked at Google, but, but you weren't an engineer, right? You're marketing. What was the feedback you were getting from people who weren't giving you money? In those days, actually, it was more about the, it wasn't about my experience. I mean, I had worked Again, I had managed huge budgets. I had worked in product management and product marketing. I'd worked with, I'd hired teams of engineers and worked with them. So it wasn't about my competencies. It was about the category. It was media. Honestly, this is 2011, So, so it wasn't, we don't think you are capable of running right. a company. We don't think this is a company that we want to invest in because it's media. It was media and it was 
uh, from the start, like I told you, I pitched the idea of this is media, but it's also going to be experiences. It's going to be merchandising. We're going to build it around people. And that was so contrarian to everything anyone's ever pitched a VC. Like they're already afraid of media, first of all. Um, they're definitely thought that you can't have multiple focuses. You have to pick one focus and do that really well. And then uh, the third thing was around me and this idea of putting human faces into it all. And literally the number of people who asked me, what happens if you get hit by a bus? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like more than I could count on my fingers. But that's a reasonable question, reasonable right? Because one, you're the CEO, and two, again, you're the face of the thing. So there's so you're many not there, examples there's, there's the of risk. like 100 years ago, every company – uh, was named after its founder, like Disney, Porsche, mm-hmm. Rockefeller, Hershey. Like a brand stands for the fact that they would like brand cattle with the owner's last name. So when it went across the country carrying goods, you knew who it was coming from. And that's where the idea of a brand got started. And to me, developing a company that was all about giving back to creative America um, and these artisans who live in small town USA and go to like Jane's Nails and Fred's Auto Shops where you know Jane and you know Fred and you have that trust and that authenticity factor with those real humans was so important to me and that outpowered the idea that Brick could get hit by a bus tomorrow and the company could die and and the idea of the co was such that it would be distributed so what, it wouldn't what just was be the thing me. that sort of broke the the logjam for you. What, what got you over the hump? Who wrote the check that everyone else then followed? In the seed round, we it was Founders Fund, Index, and General Catalyst. And that just got us started. And by the time we were raising our Series A, we were having a lot of traction. We were growing super quickly. Fred Harmon from Oak, who had previously invested in Thrillist and Huffington Post and a lot of other media companies. He worked really closely with Ken Lear, chairman of BuzzFeed. Saw it and was like, "I love this." I work. I just you know, sold Huffington yeah. Post to AOL. Um, I've done I, media. I get I, it, and I get people in the name. I actually understand that. Um, it, was, it was a breath of fresh air when, when, when Fred were, came in. I can't remember the chronology. When you were going out, uh, your husband Dave had he started Path? He start. Yes, he had started Path. The year before. So you'd been watching the experience firsthand of someone going out, raising money. As I recall, when he launched, there was a lot of buzz around him, again, back in the world where TechCrunch was a big deal. TechCrunch sort of pushed the idea. Path was the idea that that Facebook was was too big for a lot of people. It's Mm -hmm. comical now to think about that. And people were very excited about that. What was the experience like of watching what Dave was going through and watching Dave launch that company and then you saying, I'm going to do the same thing a year or two later? First of all, if you're ever a husband-wife couple, both starting company within a year of each other, um, God bless you. Second, <laughs> um, there's a lot of obvious negatives, right? Yeah, don't see each other, but presumably there's some positives, right? You can there's compare some experiences, and also there's a story. I enjoyed being following. I got to see a lot of places he messed up um, and yeah. and fixed those before I entered that area. What was the most obvious one to you? I think um, they were ra- they they were really hot for a long time and, and were growing really fast and they raised a lot of money. And I decided at Britain Co. that we didn't want to raise that much money comparatively. Because? Because we wanted to have option value of what we wanted to do with the company if we wanted to get profitable and keep it profitable. And um, if we wanted a, an exit window that would be more attainable for different 
size buyers. So yeah. to break this down, right? If you raise a lot of money, then you've got to sell for a lot of money. Correct. The more money raised, the more money you have to sell for Correct. to make it work. Mm-hmm. And if you raise a little bit of money, that gives you the option of you can have a life changing event for you, the founder, and your investors. But it's a much more doable thing. Mm-hmm. And just puts pressure on the the rate of growth, the rate of you know revenue, and and therefore the amount of growth hacking you have to do for your audience, which to me, who put her name in the brand, like I envisioned Britain Co. as a brand that could exist for decades. You know, it wasn't like I was just doing this to sell it instantly. And, and again, so, when you talk about growth hacking, right, that's that pressure to sort of show growth mm-hmm. by hook or by crook. And maybe some of the users that you've acquired aren't really your users or they aren't going to really show up. But, but right. you need that hockey stick curve. So you and in the media world, that's often known as clickbait in <laughs> journalism, right? And a version of it, yeah. Um, we... I mean, still to this day, like the Britain Co. brand is very PG-13. We don't do, I call it sex and abs, um, like what a lot of women's lifestyle companies do. And like for good reason, a lot of them have those topics on their sites. But people like sex, people like people abs. People like sex, people like abs. Um, we just try to, I mean, our mission is around creativity, empowerment, and positivity. And so, you know, a lot of those topics just don't make sense for, for our audience and, and also our advertisers are mostly like CPG brands, retailers, food brands. They don't want to be next to that type of content. And so we we probably do take like a little bit of a traffic hit for not writing yeah. about some of those things. But again, I think the growth is more authentic. It's, it's a more engaged audience. We're staying true to the mission, which gives us more authority to then sell products and sell experiences and, and all the other things we do want to do. Do you remember sort of the... Uh, it- changing over from you being Dave Morin's girlfriend or wife to you being Britt Morin? I don't remember if there was a moment. I remember, I I will be totally honest and tell you that in the early days, I walked into a very notable venture capital firm when I was raising my Series A, I think. And the first thing that the general partner said to me was, so I know you're Dave Morin's wife. What else? And literally just wanted to walk out right there. That was, um, that was the first time? or It was one of that? just during the pitching um, of, of like raising our, one of our first rounds. And, uh, you know, that sucks. And everyone asks about sexism and yeah. Silicon Valley. And it's it's beyond being a female. It's beyond being um, a mom, a young, you know, you also get a lot of biases when you're pregnant and running a company. Like, is she going to just leave? Is she going to stop? Um, but it was it was now this third thing of, oh, you're Dave's wife. What does that mean? Can I be devil's advocate? Yep. For, for the sake of being a devil's I love, advocate? Yeah, of course. If it helps you get the meeting, is that the worst thing in the world? If the hurdle then is I've got to prove that I'm someone – I'm beyond someone's wife, does the fact that they at least have heard of you and, and you're in the meeting, does that does that outweigh the, the obnoxious sexism slash whatever ism it is? If you just showed up in Silicon Valley and no one knew you and couldn't get that meeting, you might you might be okay – yeah, I still that, think there's with, like an unconscious bias, though, sure. right? So, I mean, I literally loaded my my VC slide deck with just charts of data to start because you can't refute data. You can't yeah. say we're not growing, you know, three x year over year or whatever it is, and and that is what caught, ultimately did catch the attention. Right? They're not a, they're, especially as you as the numbers get bigger, the checks get bigger, right. and no one's going to give you a a check because you're someone's wife. And honestly, but you might get access to that meeting. Earlier. I feel like honestly, between the series A and B, it all shifted. Where it was like, I get it. I know Britain Co. Yeah, you're legit. You're running this company. You've raised money now. You 
are growing. You're continuing to double your growth rate year over year. Okay. Like, and so I started getting more inbound from a lot of, you know, media strategics, um, from investment partners, as well as, you know, venture firms that David never even heard of or talked to who, you know, often invest in consumer or media companies. You've raised how much so far? Just over forty million. Yeah, real money. Real money. Real uh-huh. money. No one's no one's writing you forty million dollars worth of checks because they because you're someone's <laughs> wife. Thank you. <laughs> um, or if they are, they're really dumb. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's the case. Um, and were, were there things that you saw? You saw, you, wa- you watched Dave go through on his way up, and then sort of the descent, where you thought, "Oh, I'm not going to do that," or "I'm going to do something different." And then you, when it came around, you thought, "Oh, that's actually much harder to accomplish than I realized." Or there's a reason that he did that. It's one thing to see it from afar, another, another thing to be doing it. Yeah, very. We were very different companies. This uh-huh. is the other thing is I think you know Dave was running a company called Path, which is a social network essentially. And while it was it was content, I guess you could say, um, it was all user generated, yep. different types of viral loops that they were building. Britain Co was this consumer media brand that was all about you know creating rich text and video content working on television shows, creating books, now doing experiences and consumer products. Dave, at some point, you know, in the beginning, as we're building like the initial website, we maybe like had conversations about it. He honestly did not know much about the media world. You guys are on, no pun intended, different paths. And so at some point, (laughs) it's sort of good luck. And it's now, because we obviously talk, you know, um, he understands a lot more about the media world. And he runs an investment fund himself called Slow Ventures, which has made a lot of media investments as well. This Sam Lesson. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and I think a lot of that is because he learned it from me, and actually, like I vet a lot of that stuff for them. So, it all is incestuous. So, talk about the business today. Um, you mentioned experiences. You're in town. You're in New York because you're having an experience. You're hosting experience. Multiple experiences. What is, what is what is an experience <laughs> in New York for Britain Co. look like? So we've run ex- we've run experiences since the start of the company. I've always felt like a real community is online and off, especially for millennials. Seventy eight percent of millennials today say they would rather pay for an experience than a physical thing. And um, so we've been doing these festivals and pop-up shops and things on the West Coast where we've had 15,000 women come over the course of two days. Um, they, they come to they come. It's a, they come. It's an event called Remake. The first day is a conference. We have Tyra Banks to like the CEO of the Girl Scouts, the CEO of SoulCycle, all of these different types of amazing women to speak. Ins- inspirational. Inspirational, creativity, empowerment. We flip the space overnight and it turns into a massive festival full of creative women and women who come to want to be more creative. There are artisans, like a modern-day craft fair. There are food trucks run by women. There are female musicians performing. There are women from the general public who can just come and make a bunch of stuff from, like, coating a bracelet that lights up to decorating a tote bag with gold um, gold foil, which I'll teach you about later. Yeah, um, and, and so this year we wanted to do something different. We wanted to come to New York and with everything going on in the world this year, we actually felt like we needed to change up the vibe of the theme and what it all meant. So we called it Create Good. And the idea is create is such an inherent like word for Britain Co. But the notion of good and it's it's being good, it's feeling good, it's doing good for others. We, we felt like this was a, a really a timely moment for us to be rooting around that. And it's a five-day event, open to the public from 11 to 4.30 every day. Yesterday was our first day. We had you're a, selling tickets, right? Open to the public is free, and we have advertisers who help make that possible. So the model here is you're going to get a lot of women mm-hmm. slash people into a space. They're going to get there for free. 
when advertisers are paying you to sort of get in front of them. Correct. And yesterday, just during the like five hours we were open, we had almost 2,000 people come in during this to the space. We shut it down and flip it, and then it becomes a conference space at night. We have celebrities, we have VCs, we have ballerinas, we have fashion designers, an amazing lineup of women um, who come and speak or perform, and they're different topics every night. And then oftentimes we're flipping the space again during a third, a third time of the day to do a workshop event. So we'll have women come into an art workshop, an art class. Well, one night we're doing like a movie night for women. One night we're doing fitness classes. So we wanted to really see how many ways could you use a physical space and how can you get a community to come back time and again, not just once for an event, but multiple days in a row. You see uh, a lot of media companies right now saying, oh, I'm interested in experiential events in part because my advertising business is, is foundering a bit and I need another revenue stream or Oh, I should have. I realized that Rolling Stones should have should have had a concert business years ago. I should get into that now. What's your advice for people who haven't done events, haven't done this sort of thing, who are thinking about it now? <laughs> it's not easy. It's a pain in the ass, right? It's it's just a million details. I mean, it's if you've ever gotten married, imagine that times like a hundred. Um, and to do it five days, flipping the space three times a day is very ambitious. And what, what um, but we have just, five years of experience doing this. And what about the idea of just of saying, well, it's one thing to have a bunch of people who like you on YouTube or watch your television show or listen to them on the radio. Is there something particular that you need to do or be good at to get them to come see you in a physical space? Yeah, you have to give them an experience that's not something they can get online, right? I don't know if you've been following the trends of the Museum of Ice Cream and the Color Factory. These are ten to 12,000 square foot spaces that literally... Where's the Museum of Ice Cream? Museum of Ice Cream has started in New York. I can't believe really? you didn't come. Yeah. Wow. Um, started in New York, moved to LA, now San Francisco. Six months of tickets sell out in 10 minutes. They're $40 a ticket. You come and there's literally like 20 different rooms you walk through that are all Instagram-worthy photo experiences. The whole thing you do is take photos inside these places. So it's not just that you want to go there. You want to tell other people that you were there. That's an important part of that experience. Right, and that's what drives the viral loop of these experiences is, you know, they're so photo-worthy that you're taking a photo of yourself. It's going online. People are interested. They want to come too. And and so this Museum of Ice Cream thing has just exploded And it's funny because we've actually, this is what we've sort of done with Remake, our event on the West Coast for many years, and and now with Create Good, very similar as well. It's their experiences that people want to put online. So you're actually creating content throughout the whole experience. And And you're doing that very intentionally. So not only are we going to entertain you while you're in the room, we're going to give you things that you can share. Right. We're going to give you images that make it easier for you to share stuff because you'll want to share. Correct. And Britain Co. is such a visual brand. I mean... We're, we're one of the top publishers on Pinterest for a reason. We reach almost half of their U.S. audience monthly. And it's because, like, we create visual experiences. We are, um, you know, it's everything from and lifestyle, from food. We have a giant ice cream tasting wall at our event, Create Good, to um, we have an all-pink arcade. And it's just, like, fun and games. we got to figure out how to make this podcast shareable. Actually, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a real thing for, for audio, actually. Yeah, there it's an there really question. isn't. Like it doesn't – you don't share audio. You tell people this is a great podcast. You should listen to it. But if you just said an amazing line right now, could I clip it somehow and export that? There are a lot of people with versions of – with software that will let you do that and there's no indication that 
that actually works as a sort of form that people want to pass around. It's easy to easy enough to consume. You can go to Twitter now and you can see the crooked media. You can there's lots mm-hmm. of versions of it. I just don't think for one thing I don't think that audio sort of works as a clip generally. It's fascinating as it is. I think you sort of want to bathe in it a little bit. What if you uh, could just translate it into a beautiful text quote? I will show you five versions of it. <laughs> it there's, work. There's a, well, no, I mean maybe maybe it will work. There's a company that just just received ten twelve million bucks in funding. Anchor. Yeah, one of the things yeah. they uh-huh. do is try to make it easier to automate that process. Mm-hmm. And maybe when we've tried doing it manually, we have an interesting conversation about Trump and then run video of Trump mm-hmm. over the text. Maybe we throw the text on top of it. It's harder to do. Yeah. Resistant to sharing. What seems to work is people say, I like this podcast. You should listen to it. <laughs> and people who like podcasts <laughs> listen to the podcast. Yeah. And the flip side, right, is that the engagement's great because totally. people are – we're 33 minutes into this you and people are still listening. You have to listen to the whole thing because you don't know – we, we are, in like three minutes from now, Peter and I are going to say the most amazing Crazy thing. Crazy shit's going to yeah, happen. you've got to listen. Look at that. We're going to toss to an ad. It's awesome. It's a great <laughs> tease. We'll be right back to say something amazing with Britt Morin. Today's show is also brought to you by Bombfell. B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L. You know what that is? That is a service that delivers clothing to you if you're a man or someone who knows a man or wants someone who wants men's clothing. Bombfell is an easier way for men to get better clothes. Bombfell is fully personalized, which is a short way of saying there's a stylist, a human being, who's going to pick out clothing and send it to you. They're going to send you an email with those selections, so you have two days to actually look at what they're sending you, decide if you want it, tell them to change it, and eventually the stuff will get directly to your door. You'll then have seven days to decide what you want to keep. You send the rest back, you're done. Easy. Total control. You choose when you want to get the clothes. You can pause or cancel at any time. Bombfell has a special offer for you the stylish Recode Media listener or a Recode Media listener who would like to become a stylish or someone who knows someone who wants to become stylish, you'll get $25 off your first purchase by visiting bombfell.com slash Kafka. That's the word bomb, like we told you at the beginning, B-O-M-B, and the word fell, F-E-L-L, dot com. Go to bombfell.com slash Kafka to get $25 off your first purchase. Enjoy. Back here at Britt Moore, and she's feeling good. <laughs> um, say the amazing thing, Britt. You sold the company Peter to... Peter really good today, you guys. I know you can't see him, but... I did. This is um, a new shirt. He's got a button. I'm quite pleased with it. Plaid shirt on. And look at this. You know, see what a this, new you know Apple what this watch. Yeah. I'm testing it. Cellular? Yeah. Mm. I'm going to write about it. Oh, okay. Um, Tell me if I should get one. I'm not saying anything because I haven't written my story yet. <laughs> okay. I'm still, actually, I'm still waiting for them to be able to... You can't stream music on it yet. You have sp- Mickey Mouse as your home screen well, of your watch. Well, that's because I have a seven-year-old mm-hmm. kid who's very I'm impressed sure. with that. Mm-hmm. It talks... So we've talked about how you make money. Uh, we've talked about the experiences. Uh, we've talked about the money you've raised. Where does this thing go? At some point, someone's going to want to buy it, right? I assume, we, I assume you've had offers already. Correct. The media world, as you know, is a really interesting place right now. There's a ton of consolidation happening. I think a lot of the traditional media companies are learning that they've got to pivot faster or figure out how to buy and just grow. And... Again, we have a lot of option value because we haven't raised that much money comparatively to some of our peers, like Refinery29 and and others, which we love, by the way, and we work really well with. Everyone always asks me, is Refinery29 like your biggest competitor? And I'm like, I love those guys. We, We do deals together. We do partnerships. And 
one woman uh, going to a magazine rack often buys multiple magazines, you know, so it's a psychographic thing, not a demographic thing. But anyways, I, we are the, dif- the very differentiated in this like 360 degree brand approach. We have three merchandising lines in mass retail stores at Target nationwide. We have a suite of 100 different classes that women pay to take. They average about $30 a class. We have these events that reach tens of thousands of women whenever we run them in different cities across the country. And we have this media company that's growing, you know, double double um, in size every year. So I think we're doing a great job and we're trying to continue to wive, ride the wave of what's happening with distributed media and video and everything else work in the world. But we have option value. We, we can totally keep going it alone. Um, we are near profitability. Um, is there a kind of deal that, that doesn't make sense where someone says, I want to buy you, but I want you to make exclusively, I want you to make mobile clips because we're in the, we're in the mobile clip business and that's, we don't really care about the experiential part. Um, so we're not going to value that. We're in the magazine publishing business and we want you to do that sort of thing. With any of the conversations we've had, it's always been about keeping the Britain Co brand intact and just growing it faster because I think a lot of these bigger media companies realize we've we have the right strategy and we don't have these legacy businesses. We don't even have programmatic advertising. We've never had programmatic advertising on our site because 80% of our audience is mobile, et cetera, et cetera. They're all trying to get there and they can't get there fast enough because they still have big revenues in some of these print and television and programmatic businesses. So I've never had anyone approach me saying, we only want you for this. Uh, it's always been about we want the whole package and we want to grow it faster. Besides Dave, who do you go to for advice? We have an amazing board. Um, like 80% of them are women. Uh, Susan Line is one of my favorite people in the world. She was the former CEO of Guilt Group and of Martha Stewart. She's now at AOL or Oath um, running Built by Girls and investing in, in women's companies. But she has an interesting um, history of understanding both media and commerce and communities. Um, Tina Sharkey, who's the CEO of Brandless now, is former CEO of um, Baby Center and Sherpa Ventures, also just one of my closest mentors. So, And then, you know, the variety of people in the media space. It depends on the topic. But um, I do think this is one industry where you just get to know a lot of people and, and work together. And As an entrepreneur, ways. you want people outside your board, though, people who don't have a financial sort of stake in, in the advice they're giving you, right? Totally. And again, like it's everyone from, you know, Justin and Philip at Refinery29 and Brian and Lisa at Pop. We all talk like the Mike guys, the Skim girls. Like we all know each other really well. Brian at Bustle, like. We trade learnings. We trade. We've had almost everyone (laughs) on this podcast. We're doing well. And so there's no one you sort of, is your 3 a.m. oh shit goal. It depends on the topic. I think you have to have like a a bench of people. There's not one person. Because if I'm having an issue with retailers, Jeff Jones is an advisor for us, former CMO of Target, um, president of Uber, now CEO of H&R Block. Just incredible guy who understands the retail industry. <laughs> we so won't go he, into that. He said, oh, I'm I, I don't know if I should talk this. about that. We wrote about it. It's okay. <laughs> we can look up Uber and Recode. Uh, he understands marketing and brand. So uh-huh. if it's a brand question, if it's a retail question, I'll go to him. It just it depends on the topic. And I think every smart entrepreneur and CEO should have that type of bench. Biggest mistake you've made building this business? Thing you want to do over? So many things. Top, I think Top of mind. Top of mind I don't feel like in the beginning I was 
firm enough about what I wanted the company to be because of all the venture capitalists telling me, just pick one thing, focus on one thing. Don't make it about you. Make it about uh, you know user-generated content. or That scales. Or make it all about you. You be uh-huh. the celebrity of everything. Be on every television show ever. And and I was wavering so much in the beginning because I was 25. I didn't know. I had, This is a new type of business. The media industry is already pivoting. Like everything was whirling around me. And maybe it was growth and maturity. Maybe it was just doing it for many years. Maybe it was the advisors I built up around me. But at this point, I just feel like I'm on a rock solid so, of but, what we are. So and when you're 25 going. and you're not being firm enough and people are giving you advice, what does that translate to in terms of either action or inaction? What's the thing that that, that leads you to do? It translates into employee confusion of like, where are we going? What is this about? Is it about Brit? Not about Brit? Is it about media? Is it about something else? Like we were building apps for some of our content verticals. We built a wedding app called Weduary that helped like brides make a wedding website. Like, And was that because... Everyone was building an app, so you thought you should build an app, or was someone saying you've got to diversify, and that was that strategy? I think I was listening to the Silicon Valley Kool-Aid a little too much, where the VCs were telling me, like, media is never going to work. It's not a scalable business. There's not, like, a great profit return on that. So it should be a technology business, and you should use the content to, like, for free acquisition, but then drive them to an app. I mean, it was all about right. apps back in the day. So like you should have a wedding app and then you should have a food app and then you should have a home app and, and just use the content to get people download the app. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I mean, when you're starting a company, you already are like the million directions you can go and you're pivoting all the time. But I think, again, being 25, being in this industry, having this interesting sort of mental dilemma of like Brit co like how are we making it human I knew it I knew the human factor mattered but I wasn't sure what that really visually meant and so we just started getting tighter and tighter around it and stopped we stopped caring I stopped caring what people thought because the numbers looked good the audience was loving it our community was super engaged and so we just kept doing what they were asking for and it you know has worked over the last few years do you feel like you should be offering business advice to people who want to Hear more of this, uh, or do you feel like that's tempting fate if you start telling Anyone's people listening how to, how to, how to, how to do it? Listening to this Recode Media podcast, <laughs> I'm I'm curious how women would feel about getting all the like behind the scenes learnings of the trials and tribulations of running a company for six years, raising forty plus million dollars, and because honestly, I think I have a ton to offer, and I know a lot of women who could also offer a lot more than what I can. So we're pitching a show right now. We're pitching a show called B-School. Um, but, but I like it. <laughs> do you like it? Yeah, I'm in. But the thing is, like, my journey's not done, you know? And and so the fact is, you've got to know that, like, you're coming along for the ride of whatever is going to happen around the corner. And and I'm, I'll talk about it. And I'll tell you if things flounder or I or think rise, the, the but... mechanics of how things get put together is always more interesting than people think. I think people want to gloss over it when they're telling a story or telling someone else's story. And if you really just talk to anyone about how, literally, how do you do that thing? Mm-hmm. It's pretty fascinating. And there aren't a lot. There aren't a lot of women who are thirty-one who could tell that story to a group of women who are also in their twenties. Should we and 30s. just start the the new so podcast? So after now? this shows over, we're going to go next door to the other recording booth and <laughs> and record our first B school. I, I would like you to talk to some people here before you leave, so I, maybe we can do that. I will do. All that. right. So before we launch your new venture, let's let's thank you for joining <laughs> us. Thanks to you guys for listening. You know what we ask of you? Nothing. It's free. Enjoy it. 
pod. If you're feeling generous, feeling cool, if you like this, tell someone else about it. Britt's very good at that sort of marketing. Maybe Britt will help us as well. There's more great podcasts just like this one for you to listen to. Kara Swisher has Recode Decode. Kara and Lauren Good from The Verge have Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Cadence 13, which brings those sponsors to this show so you can hear it for free. Thanks to my producers, Beth O'Connell and Eric Johnson. Thanks to my editor, Chris Basil, who will not cut anything out so you can hear this entire thing unedited. Thanks to you guys. See you next week. Hi, this is Dan Fromer, Editor-in-Chief at Recode. I'm here to tell you about a new project we just launched, the Recode 100, and ask for your help. We're trying to make a list of the people in the tech and business worlds who made the biggest impact this year, the winners of 2017. Executives, entrepreneurs, movement starters, designers, whoever, primarily in tech media and commerce, but also some of our new focus areas like transportation, policy, and robotics. We'll unveil the full list and throw a big party for the winners later this year, but for now, we need your nominations. So if you know someone who kicked ass this year or is a rising star in their field, head to recode.net slash submit by Monday, October 16th to nominate someone and for more information. That's recode.net slash submit.